Would you trust a self-driving car to take you where you want it to go? Would you trust your child alone in one? What about a robotic assistant to take care of your aging grandmother? Or what if you're a soldier? Would you trust an autonomous weapon system to fight alongside you? More and more autonomous machines are entering society and interacting with us and our loved ones. And like any other relationship in which you interact and depend on one another, these machines may need to be given some degree of trust. But is it really possible to trust a machine? Something that thinks but doesn't feel? Act but doesn't understand how we act? This is Spark Dialogue Podcasts. You could find us at sparkdialogue.com, on Facebook and Twitter, and wherever you find your podcasts. Spark Dialogue tells the stories of science and technology and how they relate to our society, ethics, philosophy, culture, and the future. I'm your host, Elizabeth Fernandez. Hi, I'm David Danks. I'm the Thurston Professor of Philosophy and Psychology at Carnegie Mellon University. David looks at the repercussions of when a technological system, from a self-driving car to an autonomous weapon system to robotics in healthcare, is given autonomy or the ability to make decisions on its own. And you've guessed it, that will affect society in all sorts of ways, and even you and your family. The supporters of this podcast will have access to a mini-episode where David talks about how self-driving cars will change our society. You can access this episode through the Patreon page. And if you're not a patron and you want to be, you can visit patreon.com sparkdialogue, or you can find out more information on the website at sparkdialogue.com. Systems like self-driving cars and healthcare robots might seem a long way off, but David points out that machines like this and AI algorithms are already very much a part of our lives. So I think the first thing to think about is to move beyond thinking just about trusting a machine and think about trusting the broader systems in which machines play a role. So we aren't necessarily interested in whether I can trust some particular AI system, for example, but instead we should think about when we're going to be able to trust a system, a company, some business process, uh, some government system that is giving out benefits that's using AI technologies as an integral part of it. When we think about it from that perspective, we realize that the question about trusting technology is already here. There are already government services that are being given out or taken away on the basis of algorithms, on the basis of machine learning systems. They're already in our own cars. We don't need to wait for self-driving cars. We already have systems in our cars that are making really quite intelligent decisions. And we're going to have to think about when we can trust the full system where the machine is playing a very important role. Think about it. You trust your washing machine to wash your clothes. You trust your car not to break down in the middle of the road. But is this trust different than a trust that you would give a human or the trust that you would give a machine that makes decisions on its own? So that's one of the big challenges to doing anything around the notion of trust is exactly that there are so many different versions of it and it is studied in so many different fields, each of which gives its own distinctive understanding of the nature of trust. So if you ask a philosopher what trust is, you'll get a very different story than if you ask a psychologist or a computer scientist what trust is. So one of the things that I've been working on is trying to see whether there might be a common understanding. And I think that we 
actually can understand all of these different ideas of trust as different manifestations of the same underlying idea. So the basic idea is that you trust something or someone just when it's able to care for your values in the ways that you would care for them if you were able to. So it's sort of like thinking about designating another person as your agent. Trust is saying, I understand and believe that you're going to take care of my values, even when I'm not in a position to do so. And when we think about it that way, we can realize that what we are entrusting to a human is very different usually than what we entrust to a washing machine. Uh, But in the same way that we expect the human, for example, if I entrust the safety of my daughter to somebody, I am relying on that person to take care of my daughter in the ways that I would if I were present to do so. But I'm also entrusting my clothes to my washing machine when I put them in there. And so what we're really seeing between these different contexts is different values and different stakes, essentially, uh, that, that we're worried about. And so I would suggest that it isn't that there are all of these radically different notions of trust. It's that there are very different contexts in which trust is important. And so we have a kind of framework for thinking about all of these issues of trust in the same language, but recognizing that we're going to have to do very different things personally, institutionally, uh, psychologically, depending on which values we're worried about. Let's say you drop your daughter off with her teacher or a babysitter. You don't just entrust anyone with your child. You make sure they have the same values that you do, that they will treat them in an appropriate way. And they feel. They would feel bad if your child is hurt. And they would feel joy when your child is happy or they feel loved by your child. But a machine can't feel. It doesn't necessarily have values. So how does this change the type of trust that we would give it? On the one hand, it's very important that the things or people that we entrust with those things that are most important to us, our loved ones, uh, our own health, it's important that those uh, individuals or systems really be able to understand us. And there's no question that when we are dealing with other people, emotional connection and being able to understand the ways that other people think about the world Um, that we do this in a way that we don't really understand how to get a machine to do yet. So there's a level of connection that humans can have that really we can't have with machines because the machines simply lack not so much the capacity to feel in, in any sort of intrinsic way, but rather they lack the capacity to understand our feelings, to have an empathy and an understanding of all that goes into, for example, the hopes that we might have for our children or the fears that we might have about certain kinds of loss. So I think in that sense, right now, we don't know how to communicate the things that we value in these very high stakes kinds of situations when we're dealing with the possibility of loss of life. We don't know how to communicate what matters to us, to a machine. We don't have a language for talking about that. When we're dealing with other humans, the language we use is the language of emotions. And that's just not a language that machines speak at the moment. Self-driving cars are one up-and-coming technology that we will be called upon to trust and sometimes even in life-and-death situations. They promise to transform society, 
by altering how we think about our commute, and to giving people like the blind, elderly, and others who currently lack the ability to drive an increased autonomy. But what kind of decisions will self-driving cars make in the complex, ever-changing roadway situation? Would it choose to run itself into a tree, potentially killing its passengers in an effort to save a little boy who runs into the road after his ball? How would it respond to a drunk pedestrian who suddenly staggers into the road? Self-driving cars hit, hit pretty close to home here in Pittsburgh because we're one of the places where these are being tested. So I think that it's important to, first of all, realize how much trust is involved in our everyday driving with other humans on the road. So when I'm driving down the road, I'm trusting that the person next to me is not going to suddenly swerve into the lane that I'm in. And one part of that is reliability. People tend not to swerve into other lanes. But another part of it is a recognition that the person in the other car presumably values many of the things that I value. Uh, they value getting to their destination safely and without physical harm. And I think one of the challenges that we have with self-driving vehicles right now is that we don't know how to interpret their actions in terms of what the car values and the car manufacturers aren't telling us what they exactly value. So as a concrete example, if we think about two different values, arriving safely in the sense of minimizing the probability of an accident, if we think about following the law, those values can come into conflict. Uh, if everybody around you is driving a lot faster than the speed limit, the safe thing in the sense of minimizing the chances of an accident is to drive the speed of the prevailing traffic. But of course, the traffic law says you should drive 25, not the 45 miles an hour that other people are driving. So with other human drivers, you can pretty quickly figure out where they come down on this value trade-off that they might have to do. You can look to see how they're driving. Uh, we do this kind of inference all the time with other human drivers. We notice somebody driving erratically or particularly aggressively. And um, certainly when I see somebody driving that way, what I tend to do is back away from them because I think this person's just not valuing the same things that I'm valuing. But if we see a self-driving car driving erratically, we don't quite know what to do because the self-driving car doesn't understand the world in the same way that we do. So we don't know whether it's erratic behaviors because it's valuing something differently or because it's a glitch or because it just has a different model of the world. And so I think we've got this sort of really fundamental challenge, which is uh, how to interact when we're on the road with self-driving cars, which is a very roundabout way to say, how do we trust these cars to value the same kinds of things that we do? Is the self-driving car going to say, I will uh, protect the inhabitant of this car at all costs. Does it have the view that it will pay no attention to the needs of the vehicles around it or the pedestrians? We don't know because we lack experience and the car manufacturers are not telling us how they're programming these vehicles. Um, and so I think that the trust issue is simply that suddenly we have to trust uh, something that doesn't think about the world in the way we do. And as humans, we just don't have experience with that. We are used to trusting machines that are very constrained. I can trust the spell check in my word processing program, for example. And we're used to trusting things that think like us, other humans. We don't really have the challenges of trusting things that 
are sophisticated, can make autonomous decisions, but yet don't understand the world the way we do. Uh, perhaps the closest thing is whether we would trust, you know, say, our pets, uh, because animals don't really think about the world in the same way we do. And I think most people would not trust their pets with something incredibly valuable, except in a very constrained circumstance. Um, and yet we're preparing to trust cars in very unconstrained circumstances, the open road, when we similarly don't understand them. There's a lot of mind reading that goes on when you're driving. You can look at another driver and by his actions, predict what he might do. But would self-driving cars be able to do this? Since they don't know how humans think, can they anticipate our actions in the same way that humans can? We don't know whether self-driving cars are trying to in any way model or figure out what's going on in the minds of the other drivers around them. We don't know whether self-driving cars are trying to model what's happening in the minds of pedestrians uh, when they see them at a crosswalk or walking along a sidewalk. That information is simply not available right now. And I think it goes to the heart of uh, a much deeper challenge, which is how do we trust technologies when they're being developed in corporate contexts where for very good reasons, I want to be clear, the companies are not just coming out and telling the public everything that they're doing in the development of their vehicles. There are things that are obviously sort of the intellectual property or corporate secrets of the self-driving car companies. And we, we need to respect that. One of the things that can really help with this challenge is, of course, regulation. Regulators often have access to company information that they're required to hold private. So I think that this is one of the ways in which we need to move towards intelligent regulation of self-driving cars is exactly because we don't know whether they are, for example, modeling the minds of other drivers or pedestrians or cyclists. Self-driving cars are one thing. But what about an autonomous system that is called to make life-or-death decisions every day? Autonomous weapon systems do exactly this. Currently, these systems do not make fully autonomous decisions to attack, except for defense. However, one day this might change. Warfare is a complex, chaotic place. Things are constantly changing, and sometimes decisions might not be so clear. Let's say the autonomous weapon system sees a person wearing a burqa in a situation where it is expected that an enemy would be approaching. Could the person be a suicide bomber? Or maybe it's just a woman who's out for a walk who happened to stumble into the wrong area. What if that person is a child? But here's the thing. Let's say a human was making this judgment call. What if the human was biased against Muslims? Would we trust the autonomous system to make a better, more rational decision free of bias? But at the same time, how can we encode these systems with our values, beliefs, and ethics? Things that might be impossible to express mathematically. Part of the reason that I think that we're not going to see autonomous weapons systems arriving in the context of warfare particularly soon, it's always a bit risky to make predictions, but I think that the idea that there will be weapon systems making lethal force decisions without a human being involved and not in a purely defensive capacity. I mean, right now there are systems that try to 
you know, for example, shoot down incoming missiles that operate entirely autonomously, but they're incredibly restricted in their use and what we allow them to do. Um, the idea of, for example, the a robot being the first one through the door in some warfare context strikes me as being actually a long way off. I don't think that the people deploying the systems are likely to trust the weapon system because they know that they are ultimately the ones who will be held responsible because of chain of command if and when it does something problematic. Uh, what I worry about actually in many ways is much more all of the uses of these kinds of technologies in warfare context, but not directly on the weapons system itself. So, for example, right now, a lot of the intelligence and reconnaissance that occurs in the military seems to have a component in it that involves AI and machine learning and these kinds of things. Um, most notably, there was the somewhat infamous Project Maven at Google, which was designed to use machine learning to help figure out what uh, remotely piloted drones were seeing. And that's infamous because, of course, the Google employees rebelled when they learned what their technology was being used for. But that's an example where there still is, in theory, a human in the loop. But if the system has failings or failures that we don't anticipate and we don't understand, that can lead a human to make a very poor choice, even though you know, we think, oh, a human made the choice, so it must be okay. Well, but not if they had bad information, not if the system told them the wrong thing. And so I think we need to recognize that it isn't just the AI making the life and death decision directly. It's also the case that we need to worry about situations in which the AI is providing exactly the information or misinformation that could lead a human to make a fatal choice. We have to trust these autonomous weapon systems will make the correct ethical choice. But the soldiers that are deployed alongside the system also need to trust that these systems have their backs. Their lives, too, are at stake. And they want to be assured that these systems will make their lives safer. So I think there's a lot of different ways that we can establish trust. And we can think about all of the different ways that we establish trust, say, with another human or with some other kind of technology. One way to establish trust is just repeated experiences. If you interact with someone or something long enough, uh, you'll have lots of different experiences and you'll come to have a, at least some understanding of the capabilities of the person or the system. So one option would be simply to have these systems deployed alongside soldiers uh, so that the soldiers can learn how the system works or something about the kinds of choices it would make. Now, that could be done in a the setting of a boot camp or training, presumably, hopefully, we would not deploy the systems with their weapons uh, activated in an actual combat scenario until that trust were established. But other militaries might make different choices than, for example, the ones that I, I hope would be made here in the U.S. We also could have people whose job is to understand the systems and what they value and how they understand the world. So if we think about within any large organization, people have specializations. There are folks here at Carnegie Mellon who understand the inner workings of our IT systems far better than I do. And we could imagine the same thing happening in the military. 
Just as there's a medic whose job is to know how to treat people who are injured on the battlefield, there could potentially be a robot liaison or weapons, AWS weapons uh, liaison whose job is to understand how the systems work in a way that that person could come to trust the system. And then, of course, presumably the, the fellow soldiers would, in a kind of transitive way, learn to trust the system as well. The most interesting but also hardest way, I think, to build the trust would be to try to build weapon systems that actually do think about and understand the world in ways similar to how we do it. That's probably a lot further off, though, because we don't know enough about human cognition to really be able to implement it in a machine in the ways that you would need to for trust to really emerge organically. Um, you probably right now have all kinds of beliefs about me just from the ways that I talk and from the things that I've said. I'm sure the listeners of this podcast have made all kinds of inferences about me. Um, and those are completely natural. It's something that psychologists refer to as our theory of mind, that we, in some sense, can't help but understand other people as having beliefs and desires and interests and values. We do it automatically, and we don't even recognize usually that we're doing it. And so you could imagine an ethical, smart uh, company trying to build an autonomous weapon system that can be understood in the same ways that we're understood, uh, in the same ways that we understand each other. Now, that would be a very difficult task. I don't want to minimize how hard it would be to have a system that behaved as if it had beliefs and desires and so forth. But that would, in some sense, be the best way to try to build trust is if we could look at the weapon system and understand it using this almost built-in system that we all have for understanding and trusting one another. Like many autonomous systems, the AI would learn from its environment or its situation. But as I mentioned before, what happens when one of its team is biased? What happens if one of the team is impulsive or illogical? Would the AI learn to emulate the poor decisions of its fellow soldier? If we just think about Tay, the uh, Twitter chatbot that Microsoft developed and sent out into the world and within 12 hours, I believe it was, uh, learned to produce all kinds of racist and hateful tweets, uh, it's pretty clear that we don't necessarily want our AI technologies to do exactly what we do or learn from exactly what we do. What we really want, I think, usually is we want our AI systems to ideally be sort of the perfect version of ourselves, the version of ourselves that we wish we could be if we weren't bound by time pressures or lack of knowledge about what's going on around us or the periodic fits of rage and anger that can lead people to act impulsively. The problem is we don't always know which of our own actions are the product of impulse versus the product of reasoning in part because we often don't know the motivations or reasons for our own actions. And so I think one of the challenges is we want our systems to learn some things from us, but not everything. And we don't know how to tell them exactly what they should learn and what they shouldn't learn. And we don't know how to tell them which things uh, to look for in order to know whether this is an action they should learn from or not. And yet we want to put them out there in the world and hope that they will be able to figure out what matters to us and what doesn't. And so I think we just have this very deep challenge to 
getting our systems to be able to behave intelligently in a wide array of contexts when we don't even know what intelligent behavior really amounts to. I think it can be helpful here to think about an analogy with raising a child. Uh, If anybody who's ever been involved in child rearing knows, you can try to verbally tell a child how they should act, but then they'll inevitably make lots of mistakes. And with our own children, we're used to the idea that we have to gradually help them learn how to think about the world and how to be truly moral, ethical people. And yet we somehow have this aspirational goal that with AI and with technology, we're going to be able to program it in from the outset. But I don't see why we should think that given everything uh, that we've learned from child rearing and parenting. It's clear that these systems will need to have some sort of values encoded within them. But whose values? Values may differ from culture to culture. And you can ask just anyone on the street what their values are, and they might give a very different response than the next person. If that person is a racist or a sexist, they might have certain illogical views, but to them, they believe they are in the right. Whose values do you use? We philosophers have a fancy name for that, value pluralism. It's exactly the idea that even if you and I share the same values, I mean, let's take the most extreme version, we could even share the same values, but we probably don't have the same ordering of those values. We wouldn't necessarily make the decisions when we're forced into a trade-off. And so there is this persistent problem of value pluralism. How do we make decisions as a community when we value different things. Now, at the biggest picture level, that's essentially what politics is all about. Political science and political philosophy explicitly aim to work through the problem of how a group can make decisions when there is value pluralism, when people don't agree about what the most important things are. So one route that we can go in terms of technology development would be to learn from those disciplines to bring the methods of political philosophy and political science and politics more generally to bear on technology development. Now, that might seem very scary to some of the listeners, especially given the state of U.S. politics at the moment, which seems to be marked by partisanship and intractability. But I think that there are ways in technology of trying to respect the values of diverse groups, at least assuming the technology companies are willing to talk to diverse groups, and then using that as a guide towards the kinds of actions that we would like our AIs to do. Now, we're not going to be perfect in all of this. And so I think another question is whether we should even be using technology in cases of really intractable conflict between values. There may just be cases where the right answer is not to try and build better technology, but instead to recognize that these are points of conflict between humans, and we as people need to be negotiating these challenges together rather than somehow outsourcing the decision to technology on our behalf. You might be thinking right now, well, self-driving cars are a long way off, and I'm not going to encounter an autonomous weapon system anytime soon. At least, hopefully. The situation sounds a bit like science fiction. But 
but there's one situation that AI are making decisions that are affecting your life right now, and that is with algorithms. Have you ever applied for a loan, for a house, or for a car? Chances are that an algorithm took all sorts of information about you, your buying habits, your previous addresses, your friends on social media, what kind of soap you prefer, and made inferences about you. Are you trustworthy enough to pay off your loan? We know that these algorithms have some degree of bias in them. Even though you may be financially sound and you will reliably pay back your loan, you may have too many friends on Facebook that are severely in debt. And does this fall along the lines of race, economic status, and education? For sure. But we don't know how algorithms are making their decisions. No one does. We can't examine their code. Algorithms like this have often been called black boxes. While this might not be entirely true, it may be extraordinarily difficult, if not impossible, to understand why someone got denied a loan while someone else was approved. So if we can't understand how it thinks, can we trust it? So I think the first thing to recognize is that algorithmic decision-making is not actually a new thing. We've had algorithms making decisions, whether it's credit card applications 20 years ago, whether it's college admission 40 years ago, uh, or keep on going back in history. Algorithmic decision-making has been around for a very long time. Whenever we've had rules that guide decisions and we don't permit humans to override those rules, that simply is algorithmic decision-making, whether it's a human judging the rules or a machine doing so. So in some ways, these aren't actually new problems and one might think that we should be excited about using machine learning for algorithmic decision-making because what it's able to do is that the machine learning systems are able to have better algorithms so we can make, in some sense, smarter choices. Now, that's the optimistic view. The pessimistic view and the problem you're pointing towards is really, I think, twofold. The first is that the algorithms don't actually learn to make better decisions in the sense that I think most people have in mind. What they learn to do is they learn to make decisions that are better relative to the histories that they're exposed to, the data that we provide to those algorithms when we're training them. So what they learn is how to do well on the past, and we sort of hope that they'll do well in the future. But that depends on them extracting the right information about the past. And what we've learned over and over in the last decade is that sophisticated algorithms often fail to learn the right thing. So they will learn, here's a rather notorious example, uh, a system was trained to make a decision about whether something was a dog or a wolf. And you might think, that's not an interesting decision, but imagine you're trying to decide whether it's an animal that should be allowed to wander into somebody's yard or not. It might be important to figure out if it's a dog or a wolf. And one of the things that happened is that the system became very good at distinguishing between pictures of dogs and wolves. And when the researchers dug down into the particular system, they learned that the reason it was successful is because the system had learned that if there's a mountain and a bunch of trees in the background, it's probably a wolf. And if there's a city or a in interior picture in the background, it's probably a dog. So the system hadn't actually learned to distinguish dogs from wolves. It had learned to distinguish the kinds of contexts in which we see dogs versus the kinds of contexts in which we see wolves. 
So why does that matter? Well, that matters because we might worry that an algorithm that's determining whether you have pneumonia or not, or an algorithm that determines if you're a good credit risk or not, is actually learning about your context and not about you. And so the idea that algorithms always are finding out the right thing is really a mistake. Algorithms learn to do well at decision-making uh, on the histories that we've given them, not necessarily the, the futures that we care about. The other challenges that I think that they're, that's different than what we've seen historically is that algorithms have a kind of mystique now, that they are trusted to be objective and that they are a guide to a better society, for example. But the problem is that that means that we're using algorithms indiscriminately. Algorithms in and of themselves, algorithmic decision-making in and of itself, is not necessarily a bad thing. It can actually be a lot better than human decision-making. But we need to be very thoughtful about what algorithms can and cannot do and make smart decisions about when we use algorithms for these decisions, rather than just assuming, of course, an algorithm is better than a human. Another area where AI and trust collide recently in our society is deep fakes. People have been able to use AI algorithms to create very convincing videos of people, sometimes prominent politicians or people of power, saying something that they've never said before. These videos can be amazingly convincing. Here they strike right at the heart of our trust. If we can't trust our own eyes, what can we trust? While these algorithms don't have a sense of autonomy, they do speak to a sense of how they are affecting trust in our society. A lot of what we've been talking about is trust of the technology. But one of the other things that I think we need to bear in mind is the ways in which technology is changing our relationships with each other, and in particular, the relationships of trust that we have with one another. So one concrete example that we've worked on is thinking about the ways in which as AI, as machine learning systems make their way into healthcare, how does the increasing use of technology change whether you trust your doctor? If your doctor is just an information broker that provides information about the, what the computer says, are you still going to trust them to be a partner in your healthcare? And I think we can actually generalize much broader to think about the ways in which we trust one another as members of a society, that we trust other people to be telling us the truth in a lot of different contexts or trusting people to be part of the same political enterprise that we are. And here, I think the real threat comes from these new technologies that are sometimes called synthetic media or deep fakes, where it's possible to produce a very high quality video of a person saying something that they've never said before, that if you have enough uh, training data in the form of video clips, which if we're talking about a public figure like a politician or an entertainer, almost certainly there are plenty of clips out there for this, that you can essentially create a video that to the human eye is indistinguishable from the truth, but yet has the person saying and sometimes even doing truly horrific things that they might never have actually done in person. And this kind of technology, it seems to me, threatens exactly the trust that underlies all of our society, our ability to trust in what our own eyes tell us, our ability to trust other people 
to be giving us reliable information about what happened. All of that gets undermined by the presence of these kinds of deep fakes. And I think they're, they're an enormous challenge that uh, we're only now starting to grapple with. You know, I'm sometimes asked what aspects of AI I'm most excited about and which parts scare me the most. And uh, synthetic and heavily manipulated media like deep fakes are absolutely the thing that scares me the most. It scares me far more than self-driving cars, even though they're on the streets I walk every day. It scares me more than autonomous weapons or those kinds of things that have direct lethal impact. I think deep fakes are truly a threat to the basic foundations of having a functioning society. Because as you said, if you can't trust a video or audio of somebody saying or doing something, I'm not sure where we are as a society. We can't go back to a world where the only things we trust and the only people we trust are what are directly in front of us. We can't go back to that world, but then how do we have a society when we can't trust what we see or hear? Before we begin to trust AI, it's important to understand what it is. You may have in mind the Terminator, or maybe even some sort of robot. To trust AI we must first understand what AI actually is. One of the little secrets about AI is very few people who work on AI ever use the term AI. So those of us in the field will talk about working in machine learning or computer vision or robotics or planning or predictive analytics. AI is sort of an umbrella term that gets used much more outside of the research and development community than inside the research and development community. And I think that that creates some challenges because it leads people to not understand important distinctions about what we can and cannot do right now using these technologies. I think one of the issues that arises for a lot of people, though, is that they don't know where to look to learn more about machine learning or predictive analytics. Right now, it's very easy to find a lot of high-quality resources, for example, on the web, that can teach you the mathematics of most parts of AI. Uh, No matter which one you're looking at, there's probably a really good tutorial out there that walks you through the math of the technology, or that can even walk you through perhaps how people program the technology. But for most people, that's not actually what they need. What most people want to know is what are the systems capable of? How do they understand the world? They want a kind of conceptual understanding of what could be possible and what couldn't be possible. And unfortunately, right now, I think that that's very hard for people to find out that kind of information. There aren't a lot of high quality, uh, good introductions that focus on the concepts that underlie AI, whether it's machine learning or computer vision. There aren't a lot that are realistic assessments of what we can and cannot do with technology right now. Uh, Instead, it tends to be focused on people who want to become practitioners, which is to say it focuses on the math and the programming aspects of it. AI is cropping up in more and more of our culture. Before we jump headfirst into a world where AI is making our decisions for us, we might want to ask, what is needed to assure that we will actually feel comfortable with this decision? Is this level of trust something that we can quantify easily enough? Or will we trust AI more than our fellow human beings? Perhaps we will. Perhaps we'll trust a self-driving car to drive safer than a human, 
or autonomous weapon system not to make biased decisions. Or perhaps we'll decide that our values can never be encapsulated in just ones and zeros. That perhaps something like our emotions, our beliefs, and our experiences provide us with an advantage, being human. Spark Dialogue Podcast is produced by me, Elizabeth Fernandez. You can find us on the web at sparkdialogue.com, on Facebook or Twitter, or any of your favorite podcasting platforms. Remember that if you're a patron of the podcast, you can check out the bonus podcast episode where David talks about how self-driving cars will change our society. You can hear this episode on the Patreon page. And if you're not a patron, you could find out how to join at patreon.com slash sparkdialogue. Or you could see more information at sparkdialogue.com. Thank you for joining us today and see you in two weeks for another episode. Some of the background music you heard are clips from Sunbirds by Bow Crew, Chapstick by Bradley27, Undercover by Karsten Holy Moly, The Sun Smiles on Light Sail 2 by Gordon Ark, and Skydub by Psychic. More information about these songs can be found in the show notes at sparkdialogue.com.